And we're still continuing our series on Jesus. We've really been just hitting on Hebrews and John and talking about it. And what's very interesting is I started this series before our discipleship uh, discipleship group um, teaching that came into play. And what we're talking about on Sunday mornings right now in our discipleship groups is Jesus. It's pretty interesting. And so I'm trying to navigate and, you know, being that I'm teaching that class right now, but I'm trying to navigate and not say say too much about the message because I don't want the people in that class <laughs> to feel like they're getting getting me twice that morning. But this morning, if you want to, if you've got your book with you, your your Bible, uh, the holy book, if you've got that with you, and we're in Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read verse 1, but I'm going to read it in two different translations. My two favorite translations are the New Living Translation and the Modern English Version. And the Modern English Version, is it's just a lot like the, the King James Version. It just doesn't have some of the, the archaic language that the the uh, King James has, but it, it has the same kind of flow. It's It's been... Um, translated from the same text as the uh, King James Version, so I enjoy that. But I wanted you to hear this from two different, two different spots here. And so we're starting out with a New Living Translation. It says, that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. Now, remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, about the covenant. There is the Old Testament, which is the Old Old Covenant, and we have the New Testament, which is the New Covenant. And so he's saying the first covenant, or what we call the Old Testament, the first covenant that was made with Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. And what we have to understand is there was a reasoning behind this. Uh, They didn't know how to worship God. They didn't understand. They didn't have what we have today, okay? So there were some regulations behind it. Now, let's look over there in uh, the MEV and see how it says Then indeed, the first covenant had ordinances for divine services and an earthly sanctuary. So the reason I wanted to use these two together is I want to to help you understand that this is, when we come together and we worship the Lord, when we call it a service, we call it a church service, and you'll hear me a lot of times call it a worship service, because a lot of times we come together and we don't view are coming together as a worship to the Lord. But when we come together, it should be a worship to the Lord, okay? So it's a worship service. Yes, we take up uh, an offering, and we sing, and we preach, but this, what we do here is a worship to the Lord. What we do here is a worship to Almighty God, and he sees it as such. He sees it as worship to him. But the first covenant had all these ordinances and had all these things and these stipulations and everything that you had to hold on to. But what I want to tell you is when we come into our church, into our services, we don't have that. We don't have all those ordinances and stipulations because, see, what was going on with the religious people of that day is they were saying, we're doing everything that we've been told to do, but we are, but the problem was is their heart was not in the right place. Their heart wasn't, all they were doing was something that they were told, that they were taught, this is what you've got to do to be holy. But they didn't have a relationship with God. And we know they could have had a relationship with God, right? Because Moses had a relationship with God, and Abraham had a relationship with God. But everything they did, they did out of uh, out of this compuls- compulsory need that I have to do it this way, 
instead of I want to do it this way, but I want to do this. I want to please God. Instead, they said, no, it's not that I want to please God. It said, I have to do it this way. And then what did they do? Then they forced their religious spirit, their religious attitude on other people. Well, again, we talked about this this morning in the discipleship group. They, they forced it on other people. Even Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, and they would say, but that's work, and so you can't work. So they forced it. And what I want to say to you as we start, when we're talking about being in Jesus and having freedom in the Holy Spirit, we're talking about coming into this place and not having those things forced on us. Instead, we don't have to come in and worry about what we're dressed like, you know? We don't have to worry about, am I wearing tennis shoes or I'm wearing, you know, really nice, um, you know, I was going to say dockers, but dockers aren't, aren't aren't that expensive. They're cheap. <laughs> They're nice to me, though. What can I say? Uh, you know, but we're wearing, we don't have to wear a really nice set of boots or shoes and, and a suit and, and, you know, all those things to get to worship God. As a matter of fact, if you go with Connie on the prayer walk, there'll be worship on the prayer walk out there in the open. Why? Because it doesn't matter where we are, we have to have our heart in the right place. And so when we come in, I look at it like this, when we come in, there's strength in numbers. And so when we come into our service and Jesus is here and we are here, we got strength in numbers that we can worship the Lord the way we need to worship the Lord so that we can receive from God and so that we can go out of here and we can be excited and we can say, man, I want you in church with me on Sunday morning. I want to go back to church on Sunday morning because you just don't know what God is going to do, but we know he's going to do something. But see, when we are like the religious people in the Bible, what happens? What happens to us? Instead, we just, well, we're here. We're at church. And... uh, I hope God sees some good things that I'm doing because I come to church and I hope I have a good week because I'm at church. No, let's have freedom. We can feel that freedom. Ooh, I'm about to fall over here. We feel that freedom in the Lord, in our services, because we're not under a regulation to do it. We're under a, we're under a relationship attitude that, God, I want to worship you and I want us all to get together. Why do you think... Why do you think concerts sell out? Ever thought about this? Why do you think concerts sell out? Why do you think people go to football games? Why don't they just stay home? Man, with these TVs we have today, you can see it so much better at home. Surround sound, you, it sounds just, you know, it sounds good at home. Why? Because they want to be around the other people. They want to be around the other. They want to feel it. They want to, as Christy just said, experience it. They want to experience the feeling of somebody close to them touching them, getting excited. They don't want to just sit at home and see it. They want to go do it. And and that's the same thing with us. We want to come in and we want to experience together the presence of God. Think about this morning. You know, we have people praying for each other down here in the altar area. Could you do that at home? Well, yeah, with your family, you could do it at home. But instead, we're together as a church family, and then we could come together and encourage each other and pray for each other and strengthen each other. And sometimes when one person gets excited, it gets somebody else excited. And I know that, that was, that's been a negative thing in some people's lives. They're like, oh, well, they just got excited because this person over here got excited. So what? You do the same thing in a football game. 
This person over here got excited about a half-yard run, and you get excited too, and then you look at the scoreboard, and you're still losing 51 to 10. I'm sorry. I should not meddle, should I? One day. Anyway. But that's, you, you get together. It's okay to get excited. It's okay to be together. It's okay to let our guard down. It's okay. And I'm not saying you got to run around. You know, one person runs, one person kneels. One person raises their hand, another person, let's just go through it. I mean, we can spend all morning how we can worship God together in spirit and in truth. Now, I, would, I will say this. I would love to see exuberant worship in our service, okay? I have no problems with it at all. When Connie gets to dancing, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm just like, praise God. And when, when somebody gets to, to moving back and forth and clapping their hands, you know, I feel good. I feel good. Why? Because we're all in this together. We're doing this together. We could be excited about this together, and I don't think it, that there's anything wrong with it. There's nothing embarrassing about it. Why? Because you're not doing it for somebody else. You're doing it for God. The worship of Jesus. I knew I should have wrote a different sermon this morning. The worship of Jesus. So let's continue on since that's what we're, we're preaching on this morning. And go on over to um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 through 15. Let me tell you something. I encourage you, go home after today and just read. It just take a few minutes. Read chapter 9. Because I don't want to read everything because I'd be here all morning reading. But there's some good stuff in chapter 9. It helps you just, just to get the more context of it, okay? Because you know I don't like preaching out of context, remember? You don't want to be conned by the text. So you want to know the context. But he is talking about the way they worshiped back then, okay? He's going through. He's talking about the tabernacle. He's talking about these different things. And so he just talked about the covenant. We don't have, we're not under that. We're not under that religious attitude anymore. Instead, we're in a relationship but he says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of, of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies so that the flesh is purified, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant since a death has occurred for the redemption of sins that were committed under the first covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So what is he talking about here? Not only, no longer, he says, we don't have to worry about this religious, uh, th- these religious things that we have to do, but instead, because all that was done, all that was a foreshadow. All that was just done to show that this is who Jesus is. See, what we got to remember is Jesus came and he spilled his blood so that we could have eternal life. Nobody could have eternal life except through Jesus spilling his blood, Jesus being crucified on the cross, because there had to be a sacrifice for yours and my sin. But it had to be a perfect sacrifice, and no matter how good and how perfect an animal was, it was not on the level of the sacrifice of the Son of God who gave his life for us. Now, isn't this an interesting thing? The Lord knew that before he created us, all right, this is who God is, okay? God knows everything. Before he created us, that his son would have to die for us. Now, he, the Lord could make any rules that he wanted to make, but he wanted a purified, purified child. 
you and I, his children, that have accepted Jesus to be purified. And the only way we could be totally purified is by being washed in the blood of Jesus. And as you read through chapter 9, you'll see the things that the priest would do to get into the Holy of Holies, the things they would do to make the people clean or try to make them clean by following these rules and these standards. But then Jesus came and he changed all that. We talked again about that in discipleship group this morning. Being born again is what we call it. When we come to Jesus, we're born again. We have been changed uh, from the inside out. Now, verses 25 through 26. Nor did he enter to offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Talking about Jesus, he says he he doesn't enter often. He doesn't go in there over and over and over. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the world was created, but now he has appeared once at the end of the age to put away sin by sacrificing himself. So in, in the Old Testament and, and in that w- the way the Jews did it, they would have to enter all the time. There, it was a bloody mess. Being a priest, we always think of priests, you know, as being these, you know, well-collected, you know, uh, beautiful robes and everything. But being a priest was a bloody affair. The things that you did, especially in the high priest would do, these things that would happen, it was very bloody. It was stunk. It didn't smell good. You didn't come to church and, and it smelled like this right here. Why? Because there was so much death and so much blood and so much carnage constantly from what they were doing. It was, a, it was almost like a butcher house, right? They had to do that. But when Jesus came, he changed all that because he was able to come one time for all, to save all that would receive him. One time's all it took for him to save people. He doesn't have to go in again and again and again. Now, I'll tell you something. This sounds cool, but it's not accurate. People will say, every time I sin, I crucify the Lord again. No, you don't. No, you don't. He's been crucified once. I know that sounds cool. Maybe that challenges you to to live a a good life as best you can, but you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to mess up. Jesus died one time for your sins, and that's all he had to die. He was crucified one time for your sins, and that was it, and it's taken care of. And you go, well, man, I I made a mistake before I come to church this morning. Well, praise God, Jesus died. Because if he didn't, you'd be coming here, and I'd be, you know, well, I'm I'm not a priest. But, you know, we'd have to be slaughtering some animals and throwing blood on the walls and all this kind of stuff, and it would stink, right? Right? No, praise God that we can walk and we can, if we make a mistake, the great thing is he is faithful. The Bible says he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he's faithful to do. So we don't have to worry about, oh, I made a mistake. I'm no longer, in, I'm no longer a child of God. No. Scripture says nobody can take you away from him. Nobody can take you away from God. You make a mistake, you say, God, I've made a mistake. He wants us, you know, what, 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 what do you want your kids to do? I've said this before. When your kids mess up, what do you want them to do? You want them to go, Dad, Mom, I'm sorry. That's what you want them to do. The Lord's the same way. He's our Father. He just wants to know that we're sorry. He just wants to know that we don't want to continue to do this. He said, well, I've, I've messed up two or three times. But where is your heart with God? Is your heart in a, in a place of repentance? Because that, oh, I got this email. 
I got this email yesterday. And the question was, uh, pretty much in the email, is forgiveness conditional or is it unconditional based off of Luke chapter 17, I think it was. Uh, and in there he says, he's talking about, Jesus is talking there, and he said that uh, the, the, the scripture that they were wanting to talk about was that Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus had said that if somebody asks for repentance, then we're supposed to forgive them. And I, and I, te- I said, yes, it is unconditional. Forgiveness is unconditional on the point that we repent. What Jesus was talking about here was not that we forgive as an individual, but our sins are forgiven. Because right before that, what did, what did the Scripture say to it? It says that we as Christians, with another Christian brother, we rebuke the sin. So when we see that sin is going on and a person's not going to correct it, we rebuke it. And when that person repents, then guess what happens to them? They're forgiven unconditionally. Same way with us. When we realize that we have sinned and we realize we've fallen short of the glory of God and we repent of that and we walk out of that sin, that is repentance. We're saying, God, we're sorry. We repent. We want to show you and we want you to understand we don't want to do this. So when you make a mistake and you have a heart of repentance, you have unconditional forgiveness. But if you don't want to repent, that means that you just don't want to, you don't care. You're going to turn your back on God and you're going to go do your own thing. That's a total different story. But a heart of repentance, even when we make mistakes, is what we always need to have. Because we're not crucifying. Jesus does not have to go in there time after time, year after year for us. He did it once and for all. Verse 27 and 28, as it was, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this comes the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. All right. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. The great thing about it is, is because the sin that Jesus shed on Calvary, the blood, sin, I said sin, I'm sorry, the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary for our sins, the blood, it washed us and it made us whole. And so when we see Jesus face to face one day, whether it's when he steps on earth or whether it's, uh, well, I would hope it's not then because I believe in the rapture. When the rapture takes place, whether you die or when the rapture takes place and we see Jesus, we can eagerly be excited to see him because we have been washed and we have been cleansed and we have been made white as snow is what the scripture tells us. You get that? We've been made white as snow. And no dirt, no nothing. You know what they do to a car? They put a clear coat on top of a car after it's been painted, right? And that's to protect, to protect it. And that's who Jesus is. He, his blood protects us. And nothing else can change because we will continually, continually be made white because we have received his salvation and we've received the blood of Jesus in us. And that has purified us with a purification that could not happen any other way than through the blood of Jesus. Now, I think that we should be, we should be thankful for that. But at the same time, at times, we need to understand the sorrow in that. That a man, that God himself incarnate in Jesus, the, the, the man that was Jesus was God. 
He was the son of God. He could have called angels down to protect him. He could have done anything, but he chose to die for us. You get that? He chose to die for us because on judgment day, on judgment day when the Lord looks at us and he says, so why should I let you into my heaven? Jesus says, because my blood has made them worthy. My blood has made them worthy to enter. You see, all that other stuff has passed away. Behold, everything else has become new. All that old stuff is gone. Everything else has become new. Why? Because the blood of Jesus that was shed for me.